It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastek. For the past year and a half, Amanda Holmes has been delighting listeners around the world with the American Scholars podcast, Read Me a Poem, in which, you guessed it, she reads us a poem. But it's never just a poem. It's a listener's father's favorite, or an ode that changed someone's mind about the person who wrote it, or a sonnet that stuck with someone since high school. I have the pleasure of recording and producing the show, which means that I get to see firsthand the large number of requests we get for poems and how much joy listeners derive from the show. Now, more than ever, it seems we all need more poetry in our lives. So for this episode of Smarty Pants, let's peer behind the curtain of our sister show and talk to the woman herself. So thanks for talking to me about poetry, Amanda. It's my pleasure. So I wanted to start by asking you the question that I probably should have asked when we first started recording this, like a year and a half ago, which is, how did you get into poetry? Well, I always had a love of poetry since I was a child because my parents were both in the theater in the UK. And um, my father was in a couple of long running shows and they always used to recite poetry and had a love of poetry and a love of Shakespeare. And when we moved to the United States, my mother started a little company called the Elizabethan Company, which um, mounted various different productions, you know, um, Shakespearean productions, but other things like Noel Coward as well and um, Oliver Goldsmith. And I had a wonderful opportunity to um, play different parts, like I played Helena in Midsummer Night's Dream and I played Rosalind in As You Like It. In fact, I met my husband in that production and that's uh, why we named our daughter Rosalind. Um, but my mother always used to encourage me to memorize poetry. And um, she said, you know, she, she said you should memorize sonnets just for fun. And then you'd always have a little library of um, poems in your head. And she was right because I just, uh, I do have a little library in my head. <laughs> So how do you choose which poems to add to your internal library? And do you Oh, have just ways? like if something appeals to me, if I like it, and I just want to be able to have it there, you know, poems that I love, I love the sound of, or things, you know, sometimes funny poems as well. Well, once when I was a child, I was in a production of um, The Pied Piper of Hamelin, 
And as a result, I memorized, um, or I just remembered. So sometimes, you know, if I've had a couple of glasses of wine, <laughs> it's my party trick. I can recite the entire Pied Piper of Hamelin by Robert Browning. <laughs> How long is that poem? Oh, it probably takes about 10 minutes to read. Oh my goodness. All right, we are not going to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I promise you I won't do that. <laughs> well, have you noticed, um, I mean, obviously, you know, tastes change over the years. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that your taste in poetry has changed as you've gotten older since those first days in the theater with your mother? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. But although it's probably developed, my taste has developed. I should also add that uh, when I went to college, I went to Emerson College in Boston, which is a communication school, and I did a minor in oral interpretation. And in that, we, um, well, we learned about voice and articulation, where to place our voice, and um, we learned how to analyze poetry in terms of um, its structure and in terms of um, how to perform it. And so we were to, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, scanning the poems, working out where the anapests and the trochees and the dactyls and the iams were and understanding the alliteration in the poem and internal rhyme and everything like that. And that was a very, very good foundation. I don't think I ever expected that I would use it in any professional sense, but it was just something because I loved poetry that I naturally wanted to know how to read it. And, you know, then later on when I um, was teaching, I would often read poems to my students and I would encourage them to memorize poems. And, um, and it was a joy to me and I think to many of them. So what kind of preparation do you do in advance of reading for the podcast? Because sometimes listeners will send in yeah. suggestions and they'll have their own read-on things. Yes. How do you, you know, interpret those? How do you pick uh, the poems you're going to do with background and, you know? Um, well, for one thing, we made the decision, you and I, that we weren't going to record any living poets. Um just because it made it a little simpler in terms of copyright and various other considerations. Um, so we only record the poems of deceased poets. Um, well, you know, when people send in a poem, sometimes I might think, oh gosh, this old chestnut, maybe people don't want to hear this again. But sometimes I will be surprised and I'll think, oh yes, I forgot about this one. Or sometimes it'll be a poem that I'm not familiar with, you know, and I, if it, I read it and it resonates for me, or well, sometimes I'll read it and it won't really resonate, so I'll have to read it a few times and then I'll think, you know, well, obviously this means something to somebody and sometimes we'll get more than one request for a poem. And, you know, actually when we started out this podcast, I don't think we really knew what sort of a shape it was going to take or, or how it would develop. It just started out as um, I, would, I shared poems that I enjoyed and then gradually we got more and more suggestions coming in to us and then it almost sort of um, defined itself and uh, you know it became something a sharing thing a way of um, well people communicating to us what they liked and then me being able to read the poem for everybody else too you know yeah I mean there is obviously a delay between when people submit the poems and by the time you know you've prepared them and we yeah. get into the studio and also you know them. now we're getting so many submissions yeah. that it's quite a backlog to get through but I try to um 
know, sometimes something that somebody will submit as a suggestion will be really pertinent and I'll sort of it'll let, I'll let it jump the queue. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been surprised too, like even given that delay, something that yeah. wasn't overtly pertinent at the time yes. will turn out to be really relevant. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, that you read it and maybe the day of, I was like, oh yeah, that really resonates with what's happening. Yes. Or it's, you know, by chance, the day I've scheduled it to run. Well, for instance, um, when I recorded Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold, I actually was thinking, really, should I record this? Because I thought everyone knows this and it's almost like, you know, overkill. But uh, I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I will, will will record it. And then um, it turned out to be right at the beginning of the pandemic. And suddenly the poem had a whole new meaning. You know, it spoke to, to us, it spoke to me in a whole new way, which I hadn't expected at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really poetry echoes through the generations mm-hmm. and then through through time yeah and also I like to have fun with it you know sometimes I like to record um, children's poems I mean not children's poems but poems written for children um, and or, or comic verse like Ogden Nash you know we don't want to take ourselves too seriously <laughs> yeah well and I think you know that balance is really important especially in a pandemic when we're all grieving in many ways for mm-hmm. the life we used to have and figuring out what life is going to look like. And then now with the protests against police brutality, I feel like things are changing on a daily basis. And so is the work that I'm reaching for. And I wonder how your poetry consumption has changed in the past couple weeks. Well, I've been reading more poetry. One And one of the things that's interesting is I've been introduced to poets that I hadn't read before by the listeners, like Rabindranath Tagore whose Gitanjali or song offerings really is a comfort during these difficult times. And I've been reading those and being very comforted by them and sustained by them. And one of the things I think is interesting is that poetry, being the highest of the literary arts, really is more than an... It isn't an intellectual exercise. You know, we don't talk about learning something by head. We talk about learning by heart. And it's because it requires us to bring our deeper selves into play when we listen to poetry and when we read poetry. Um, It isn't something to exercise the brain. It's deeper, you know, and it resonates. And that's why it speaks to us, because it calls on our deeper self. And in times of trouble, in times like the pandemic, we need those resources, those deeper inner resources. And sometimes poetry can speak to those in ways that other things can't because it's in language and in rhythm, something that's so fundamental to us as human beings. We have a heart beating within us, you know. It can circumscribe experience and make it more palatable, difficult things, you know, poems that talk about you know, like Emily Dickinson or um, Walt Whitman's Oh, Captain, My Captain, things like this, that they they can circumscribe the, the um, painful experience and make it more bearable because it makes you realize this is what, it's, um, what it means to be human. And it ennobles the struggle and, and sort of gives you permission to struggle through something. 
Yeah, I mean, I never reach for, you know, a short story or a novel when I'm feeling especially dejected. I always reach for poetry. Yes. Jane Hirschfield's For What Binds Us or W.H. Auden's Funeral Blues. Yes. Like, those are the ones that I think of when I'm when I'm really, really down. Yeah. But I know that's not true for everyone. And there have been times in my life where I've just dropped poetry entirely. Have there been any times in your life when you have not read poetry? Or when you've um, been unable to? Well, one, one thing that's interesting is I think we sometimes think of the arts or sometimes we're tempted to think that the arts are an indulgence, you know, that we, can, we can't really afford to spend time on it, you know, or spend money on it. But in fact, it's during difficult times that we need art. And a friend of mine who's a violinist, um, you know, during 9-11, um, told us how he was thinking oh gosh here I am going to go and play a concert you know is it really isn't it rather um, a frivolous thing but then he realized that actually that was the time when audiences really really needed the sustenance of music you know we need um, those deeper spiritual reserves you know and we need to be um, nourished that way during the most difficult times so it isn't just like an indulgence that is only for the, you know, lucky few who can afford it or understand it. It should speak to everybody. And I don't think people should be um, intimidated by it either. I used to tell my students, you know, if, you, if there's a song that you like, you know, and um, you don't really know the words, you don't feel like um, embarrassed or ashamed that you don't know the words or or you don't understand the words, because you, you, you're responding to the music or you're responding to the rhythm of the song or whatever, and then gradually think, oh, yeah, that's what it was about. You know, I, I didn't ever realize that's what the words were. And why don't you feel that way about poetry? Why don't you, if you don't get it the first time around or you don't quite understand what the poet is saying, you shouldn't be intimidated or feel like somebody's trying to pull one over on you or you're, you're unintelligent or something. You should just let it go and, and just, you know, if, you know, there's something about it that makes you want to return to it, then you can return to it and just see what you get out of it. But you shouldn't think it's an intellectual exercise is what I mean. Yeah, no, poetry is really an emotional exercise. Yeah. That's when it hits the hardest. Yeah. And I think that's really reflected in the feedback we've gotten to the podcast. It's been really great, you know just as the receiver of the emails to see how many people are writing in with suggestions. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a line like, could you please read this? Or yeah. Amanda, I love your voice, which I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Can you read this? But other times, you know, it's like a really, you know, quite a long email about how yeah. a poem has affected people. Yes. And I've, I've just been so touched and um, really humbled by the fact that the poems seem to be listened to all around the world and it's been extraordinary the response we've got from India for example we get so many listeners from India and they've been introducing me to different poets that I didn't know you know as I said Rabindranath Tagore was one but you know people like uh, Kamala Das and Toru Dutt I, I who I hadn't read yeah, I really, I'm very glad to have been introduced to Kamala Das because yeah. the, the poem you read most recently of her, Summer in Calcutta, was just so sparkling. It was just so great. And and I think that really speaks to the, the, the international character of poetry and how it just yeah. crosses boundaries, like in a good translation can yes. get you so far. I know, and it was very interesting also that um, 
we hadn't really thought of reading poems in translation. You know, the art of translation is extraordinarily complicated. Translating poetry to be able to write something um, that gets the feeling of a poem across in another language with a different rhythm to it, a different syntax. So, you know. Yeah, and you've done your own too. You did. Uh, I did do one. You yeah. did one for the Italian. <laughs> yeah, we did the archaic torso of Apollo. Oh together. yes, that yes, was that fun. was fun. Yeah. Although I was just reading the German, and then we read the Stephen Mitchell translation. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was my introduction to the difficulty of translating poetry because. I was just comparing all of the different translations and none of them, you know, if you know the original language, yes. you feel sort of like some kind of ownership of it, yes. you know, but, and you can't quite feel what the difference is or why this doesn't work sometimes. And well, one thing I think is interesting is um, uh, the Rabindranath Tagore poems. Um, obviously the originals are in Bengali, but he himself translated um, his poems into English but sometimes the Bengali speakers have said to me, well, this doesn't give the feeling of the poem, you know, but it's his own translation. So, you know, that's quite an interesting yeah. thing as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, you know, that if you are bilingual, you can sort of feel, and this is, the, I think the best translators understand this, that the most literal translation or the most equal word or phrase might not actually be the right one to yeah, use. Yeah, because it doesn't give the same feeling. Mm -hmm. Or the same idea. Or even, you know, a metaphor in one language won't necessarily work in another yeah. one. Yeah, it's been really cool to, to see the response. And it's been so beautiful to, you know, I think that, it, that everybody should try to read poems aloud for themselves as well, because it does something to you. Actually, I think physiologically it really is something it affects you it's like meditation does you know it sort of resonates in your body you know and the rhythms of it can can really um well I've been very moved when people have written in and said that you know listening to the poems um helps with their anxiety or has helped during the pandemic to make them feel more um uh peaceful and well it's no wonder really because that's what poetry does. You can listen to the entire archive of Amanda Holmes's Read Me a Poem on our website or wherever podcasts are found. And I've put a link in the show notes so that you can subscribe too. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.